Hi, Steve. Welcome. Today, I'm joined by James Dama. He is a machine learning expert. He's been on my channel many times to talk about Tesla FSD, autonomous driving, and artificial intelligence. Um, want to welcome you back on the show, James. How are you doing? Great to be here. How are you? Yeah, doing great. Um, we got a lot to talk about. I know you just came back from a trip, I think, to Oregon um, and back to California, Southern California. Um, Elon Musk uh, gave a bunch of comments on FSD in a recent interview by uh, Tesla, Silicon Valley Tesla Club. And so we'll go over those comments. And then also, I think you just installed Starlink, right? Um, so we're mm -hmm. running this interview on your side off of Starlink. How has it been mm -hmm. uh, using Starlink? Uh, it's been great so far. I've only had it a couple of days. I've, I've moved it. I unpacked the box, set it outside, got, mm -hmm. you know, turned it on. And with, and it came up in 60 seconds. That was great. And then after I ran it for a little overnight to just sort of get a sense of like how the thing worked, I put it on the roof and connected it to the house network. So for the last couple of days, like, like my house is full of equipment that's on the internet constantly. And it's been, it's been better than my cable. Mm. Uh, the cable, yeah. I live in foothills and the cable is very sketchy here. Um, it's pretty, it's fast when it works, but we have all these little outages and we frequently have outages or a couple hours and I'm expecting mm -hmm. like just on that metric Starlink is going to be better. I, I'm su I was expecting yeah. lots of sizable outages, like every day, a few minutes here and there. And yeah. Like that. It's not like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking Starlink. I'm leaving in two days, uh, on a long RV trip and we're taking Starlink. The only problem is in the past, when we've tried it out, like last month, if there are lots of trees, it's really hard to get, you know, yeah. coverage. But it works fantastic if there's like open coverage. Um, I'm guessing as they put up more satellites, they'll get better coverage. Maybe without as big of an oh, open yeah. sky, you're going to get decent, you know, reception. So, it, yeah, it, it was interesting watching there. Were, I like I realized some things about, you know, because it's it's got a motorized mount and it rotates itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, to get the best view of the sky. And when you look in the app, you can get a sense of what the of what the um, field of view is for the antenna, because it gives you a little map of that and it shows you where the obstructions are and that kind of stuff. And uh, and now it makes perfect sense to me why they decide to motorize the mount, um, because it can sample where it's getting obstructions, where the trees are, and then reposition itself as it learns about the environment to get the best view of the most satellites most of the time. And I, that's just brilliant and then yeah. as the constellation fills out as they add more satellite because right now for me the antenna is pointing due north at a 50 degree inclination because i've got fairly clear skies um yeah. because that's where all the satellites are right but as uh, the yeah. constellation fills out like if they really had a lot of satellites it would point straight up right mm -hmm. because that would give you maximum sky so it, like it's going to be an interesting gauge to be able to watch the starlink antenna as the constellation fills out it's jet it's just gradually <laughs> back and eventually it'll point straight up yeah, yeah. So, did you um, have to get on a waitlist for a long time to get your Starlink? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. I ordered it um, like 15 minutes after the store went live, oh, so wow. I, you know, I had a super low number on the thing. But yeah, yeah. I'm in Southern California, and you know, I'm a low priority in Southern California. There are so many SpaceX people and whatnot that live out yeah. here. So, <laughs> yeah. but I'm glad to, I'm glad to have it. It's going to be great. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I really didn't think I, I, that I was going to be tempted to drop my other internet service, my cable internet service. But, you know, right now I could see that actually happening. I'm getting, I'm setting up a, I'm planning to set up a load balancer so I can run both connections and it'll mm -hmm. automatically swap between them according to which is performing better. But like Starlink has been so good for the, yeah. you know, 24 hours, 48 hours I've been using it that yeah. I may not even bother yeah. Just, yeah. you know, keep the cable as a hard backup so yeah. I can go like yeah. move plug if I need to. Yeah. I probably for the next year or so you want to probably keep your cable. I've heard some people just occasionally every month or so there's like some type of, I don't say outages, but like some, the service gets, get hits, it gets hit during service. Like they're trying to upgrade the system or something and for an mm -hmm. hour or two, it really gets hit. So we'll see. Um, all right, James, I want to talk about uh, your trip here. So you went to Oregon, you came back, um, you tweeted that how it blew you away, your drive. So let's do first like a, a you know, 30,000 foot overview on your impressions on FSD beta versus let's say autopilot that you've driven, let's say that route many times. So what was kind of like the big picture overview difference between FSD beta and autopilot with using the same drive to Oregon? Um, well, I mean, th this drive is a tough one to compare because it was perfect. Like it was, 
it the on this drive on this route it surprised me by being sub, this this uh, discontinuously better than I've ever experienced before even previously on FSD it was just perfect it, like it drove the whole 128 and it's acceleration deceleration going into the you know dozens and dozens and dozens of blind curves or for, you know decelerating from 50 mi 55 miles an hour which I that's the speed limit and I just let the I set it I was hands off I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't enter act with it at all it just it did the whole thing by itself no braking no acceleration i didn't push it through any curves and it just nailed it it just completely nailed it. like i was completely blown away it's by far the best drive i've ever had in well in any autonomous vehicle on fsd myself and and uh i'd say you know my my partner she's ridden shotgun on this ride a zillion times and she was just like oh my god i can't believe it so she's got a ton of experience from the passenger seat watching this thing on the strike. It was okay. just so you've you've driven this route so it's the 128 i guess um is it in oregon this route the 128 is in uh northern california okay. um it runs from cloverdale which is on the five across to the coast it goes through Got the it. anderson valley which is a winemaking region and it gets to the coast just south of mendocino and then i, I count the drive like from cloverdale where you get off the five all the way along the 128 and up the coast because the the coastal drive is actually pretty tough too up to yeah. up to Mendocino. It's got some very tough, you know, five mile, fifteen mile an hour, ten mile an hour hairpin turns that are in yeah. gullies with like really steep banking and you can't see, you know, totally blind, like really hard turns. And prior to this, like I had never seen FSD successfully do a sub a sub fifteen mile an hour turn. 15, you know, where you should drive the, you should, like it would be posted at 15 miles. These, so these, this would be a hairpin. And especially if you got a hairpin where there's a, you know, there's an incline or a decline, you know, the approach might be out of the field of view. The geometry is very complicated of the road surface. So judging the speed to do that smoothly, perfectly comfortably, perfect braking going yeah. in, turn perfect acceleration back huh. up to your target speed as you go. It's a really tough problem. And I was not expecting to see fsd do that soon yeah. and mostly because i've driven it so many times like i can see you know i've seen the steady progress now i mean before fsd on ap when fsd came out i've driven it a couple of times on fsd now three four five and uh you know so i've seen the steady progress on fsd since i've got it and this was just like boom it just, wow. just so how long is this it. the whole route uh, the 128 and the one 67 miles 67 section. miles okay so you're talking about perfect so you're talking about no disengagements or anything like no in frequently uh like when i'm driving around town and whatnot yeah. i'll adjust the speed up or down so the settings i had it on right now i have it set for assertive and uh and i have it set so that it just drives the speed limit like whatever it thinks the speed limit is and luckily on this route the speed limits and the maps are right. <laughs> so it wasn't guessing the wrong. The speed limit's not posted. It's a 55 mile an hour posted speed. You, uh, very large chunks of it cannot be driven safely at 55 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. As I said, there are many, there's probably a uh, half dozen sub, sub 25 mile an hour turns, which have always been uh, hard for that, I mean, really hard for AP. They've been they've they've been challenging for FSD. FSD up until the most recent time I drove it, it could reliably do anything down to 20 mile an hour turn. But you know, 20 miles turns would be 50-50 whether it would successfully do them. To say nothing of comfortably, just to mm -hmm. successfully navigate the turn. And 15 miles an hour turns, never seen it do it right. So on this drive, it did three 15 mile. I mean, it just nailed everything. There are three 15 mile an hour hairpins on this route. And there are, you know, probably three or four 20 mile an hour turns, and then maybe a, a half a half dozen 25 mile an hour turns, and then tons and tons and tons of 30 mile an hour turns. Okay, so so did um, for slowing down, is it slowing down because it sees the speed limit slow down, and then it slows no. down, or is it slowing down because it actually is seeing the turn? Now, some some of the turns will have a marker posted that mm -hmm. will say, you know, what the advisable speed is for turning it. Um, but probably 25% of the turns are posted. 
most of them, they're not posted, so it can't be using the sign. And the sign doesn't seem to correlate with how the system is behaving. Like, I, I can't actually tell if it's responding to the signs or not. Huh. Um, it's having to make the decision based on what it sees. Huh. Because, like, this problem isn't solvable with GPS. Even, you know... I don't, as far as I can tell, the maps aren't good enough. Like the maps have the curves in them, but sometimes the maps don't have the right curve. They have their, it shows the curve too tight or not tight enough. Um, and uh, GPS, the air, circular error probability for GPS on a road like this just isn't very good. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't use it to, to judge going into a turn. It's, they may be using it in complement with stuff, but, but you have to be doing visual judgments of road geometry and making your decisions about that. And I had expected them to get to where they could do it like relatively soon, certainly inside the next year or whatnot. That was just the rate of progress. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to get to where they could do it. And it was like just completely indistinguishable from a good human driver. Like my mom could not drive this route this well. I mean, that sounds, it sounds pretty crazy. I mean, because typically, yeah. like, for example, let's say you go through like a 15 mile hairpin turn, like mm-hmm. either you're going too fast and then it disengages or something, right? Because it's not judging correctly or it goes too slow during like, yeah. so it's and hard to you're get. you're well short of the turn and creeping exactly. through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and not... it stops midway because it's not quite sure. And then it jerks the rest of the way around. I mean, 15 exactly. mile an hour, all, all, all the hairpins I've done, I, I call it, if, if a, if a, if a if a turn is is 170 degrees or more of turning and the speed uh, the po- the the transit speed is less than 20 miles an hour, I call that a hairpin. So uh, I, um, yeah. So I mean, it it's it would seem like it's a huge progress where you could not just be able to do these things, but not too slow and not too fast, right? These these yes. turns and not to rely on the the speed limit signs completely or GPS completely. Yes. So yeah. you're doing vision only mostly probably and you're doing the right speed the right yeah. time I and mean, this is this seems pretty crazy this seems like more advanced than most like all the- I, I, like <laughs> yeah. i didn't like it i've never tweeted about fsd yeah. drives before like this one was just like next huh. level now wow. now i kept using like we drove the rest of the way up the coast after mendocino and i you know for the next few days i used it on lots of other mountain roads and it wasn't uh, the other drives weren't as good as and when I say they weren't as good, um, like the if you discount intersections, if you just talk about the part of the road where, you know, the road's curving, you're doing blind turns. It was great on those. I never on this whole drive. I didn't have any issues there. You do get stuff where you've got some weird intersection, like there's an intersection in the map where the road is curving and like some little driveway is coming on. But in the in the road, it's in the map. It's an intersection. And so the car comes up to it and it's looking for an intersection. It's not seeing an intersection because it's not really an intersection, but that's how it's marked on the map. And the car would get confused. It would like slow down, be a little jerky. It would would get through it, but it wasn't this perfect, smooth, sublime, you know, indistinguishable from a good human driver experience. And so that happened a couple of times. And I had a couple of, you know, weird intersection in a small town where I did an intervention because like it was just acting weird and I didn't want to inconvenience people around me. Um, But you know, we were gone for some days. We drove, I don't know, probably 12 or 16 hours total. I used FSDAP the whole time and I had maybe three, four interventions the whole time. It was pretty small, but, but previous versions of FSD, like I wouldn't have been surprised at the three, four intervention kind of thing. Like it's, it's kind of been in that, in that ballpark. But the thing that was just shocking was like, you know, you're driving this windy mountain road and it's like yeah. perfectly decelerating, coming out of the turn and rapidly accelerating. I mean, I've got a plaid, right? Yeah. Like it'll get back up to 55 like that, right? And then it'd zip along at 55 and you'd come into the next turn and it'd just like sweep around the corner and blam right up. And there yeah. were many, many turns where I had oncoming traffic, or, you know, blind traffic around uh, around the curve. You could see the vehicle, It's it would behave slightly differently in the presence of other vehicles than it would like if it had the whole road to itself, which is like that's what humans do, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it was just like I was really, really – now, a certain amount of this, like I don't expect it to always nail it. There's a, probably mm-hmm. a certain amount of luck in this. I mean, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't bad weather. You know, there were things that could have made it worse. It could have been 
you know, really bad traffic or something, which occasionally happens on this road. So there was a certain amount of fortitude. But this is like, this is, there are trees on both sides of this and cliffs and stuff. So you're driving along and you go from super bright sunlight to it's really dark, you know, because all of a sudden the trees are just, and there's long sections where like you're driving along and the sun's coming through. And so you're, it's like a strobe light on the window. It's going super bright, super dark, super bright, super dark. And it'll do that for like 10 minutes around curves and stuff, right? Where, you know, you're doing, a, you're, you know, the road is narrow. You got a tight turn and there's a tree right on the edge of the road, you know, where like you don't and it's a dark tree trunk in a dark shadow and you're coming at a bright light. Like it seems like there's so many opportunities to not get that right. And and they're they're big chunks of the road where like there's no markings. Right. Or the markings are terrible or the markings are wrong. And and it just it did great on all of it. I was really, really impressed with the performance on this. So, Elon. Uh, commented on this uh, Silicon Valley Tesla Club interview, mm. uh, a few things that has helped FSD recently. So first was removing radar. And then the second one was kind of uh, interpreting the bag of points, not with heuristics or C code, but rather using neural nets, right? Uh, with the bag of points to find the, the lane center and stuff. Do you think any of those two um, changes have has um, been, uh, um, I guess, have, you, ha- have those changes led to the improvements that you saw? in any way um, it, there's good there's good reason to think that the static map improvements are probably a big component of these the, of the link because the what's what's really critical to get this is to know the shape of the surface of the road and where the boundaries of the road and not just like is it turning left or right but is it banked because looking at a road in perspective and you know it's all the same color it doesn't have a ton of features to it you see the stripes kind of go but you know there are multiple ways that could be interpreted as to like what is the road bank because and the, the thing about the road bank it's not that you you need to speed up or slow down differently for banking that's kind of true but the thing is if a road is banked um, it's very easy to misunderstand the shape of the curve if you're just looking at it like monocular with no depth you need to understand the depth well in order to understand that arc. And you need to understand the arc so that you actually know what the real curvature of the road is as you as you go through it. So it's a it's a pretty difficult machine learning problem to to do this just with cameras and to get it so right and be so confident in your uh, in your in your driving that you're that you're breaking at the last minute as you go, not so late that you make people uncomfortable, but it's not breaking really early. It's not waiting a long time to accelerate after it comes out of turns. It's just like, you know, just nailing them as it goes through. And so one of the impressive things is like, is like the confidence of the autopilot team that that the software can do this. Like they've clearly got the, the driving parameters set to a relatively tight margin, at least on this drive. And, uh, you know, and that that indicates to me that they're pretty confident in 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 how the the, the system is behaving. Yeah, um, it it's it's interesting. I think your drive kind of illustrates perhaps the advantages of a Tesla vision only approach. Like if you compare it to perhaps what let's say Waymo could do. Let's say you take a take a Waymo car and stick it on the same route. Mm-hmm. Um, how does it perform? What does it do? Yeah. It's, you know, I suspect Waymo could do this if they, I mean, anybody could do this if they wanted to. If you just tune for this one drive and you know it really well and you map it really well, like if you just do the HD map mapping of the whole thing, like that's a huge advantage, right? So I'm sure Waymo can do it. Would they do it? How confident? Because doing it, it's, there's being able to technically do it. And then there's being confident enough that you're going to give it to a hundred thousand newbies and turn them loose on the world with it. Right. I mean, that's a lot mm-hmm. of confidence. So is, is Waymo that confident? I don't really know. It, could they do it? Yeah, they could do it for sure. Yeah. I mean, but again, it would have to be like HD mapping and, you know, like but doing the route do many it times. Waymo way. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, just, um, just having LIDAR, you know, yeah. It, this is a this is actually a pretty good lidar situation if you're mm-hmm. going to use lidar in this because you know it's pretty easy to interpret the you know with trees rocks the road surface the occasional coming on uh, you know oncoming car uh, and then having lidar to know the road surface like you know it could mm-hmm. be a significant advantage in that situation like the thing that that Tesla has got to get right the shapes of these curves is something you know lidar will help you with that mm-hmm. in that in that space so yeah I think. Uh, 
you know, Waymo's got a $200,000 sensor suite or whatnot, and it, it would be well applied in this situation. But Tesla's doing it with a bunch of $20 cameras, right? Mm-hmm. So. Sure, sure. And um, and I guess there's also this advantage, or I don't say advantage, but this thing with vision and with more data, right? And they're able to tackle, let's say, roads like this, and it gets better and better. Because in some ways, it's like, in six to 12 months and two or five years, it's just getting better and better over time. And you have more and more data in terms of, you know, with LIDAR, HDMAP, I don't know if you'll see the same level of improvements unless the hardware gets better. I guess you'll have the software, you know, get better too, but I don't know if it's the same exponential like improvement rate that neural nets and and, the, and large amounts of, of growing data will provide, I don't know, with a, with a large fleet. I don't know, what's your take on kind of this rate of improvement, you know, LiDAR versus like a- Waymo's a got all the hardware they need to do a mm-hmm. great job. And they got smart people. Um, you know, if they, if they have an obstacle, it's that they decided to do it a certain way. And the way that they're doing it might be holding them back. Like, you know, if they, have a sensor fusion mode mechanism that they're using for their radar and their lidar and their cameras all together and that sensor fusion modality has some limitations but they're committed to it because it's important for some other thing that they're doing then yeah that could be a problem it it's there aren't fundamental reasons waymo couldn't do this or the other people couldn't do this right mm-hmm. um i mean the tesla's got a huge advantage with the data collection like that that much is clear um it, and I don't expect other people to do it. I mean, one of the, on the Tesla owner Silicon Valley video that you mentioned earlier, one of the comments that Elon said was, you know, they're looking, they don't see anybody else pursuing their approach. He thinks they've got a significant, you know, like he was talking about having a five-year lead on solving the problem before other people uh, yeah. you know, can, can do it. And, uh, and that, like, he doesn't think they'll respond by changing what they're doing until they're suffering, their business is suffering because of this. Like they're gonna stay on the path that they're on until they're really clear that that it's not working for them. And I, that all makes sense to me. Like I can believe mm-hmm. that that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this five-year kind of lead comment uh, that Elon shared. So he thinks they'll be five years ahead. I guess once they solve full self-driving, people mm-hmm. it'll take, probably another five years um, uh, for others. Is he talking about, you think, just vision only um, approaches or because it seemed like with LiDAR and Waymo and, you know, Cruise others, more with the geofence area that they, you know, might be able to solve, obviously, like, you know, this taxing those areas. So do you think Elon is referring more to a a generalized solution that's like affordable for everyone? Probably. Yeah. It, it, you know, Cruise and Waymo's ability to do, I mentioned them because they're the biggies. I mean, there are others too, many others. Um, but um, their ability to do what they're doing is, I mean, you know, they can do what they're doing. Uh, the question that they face is scalability and how the business, how competitive is that business, right? Because, you know, they've sunk a lot more money into the development than they thought. Their platforms have gradually kind of gotten more expensive and they haven't as far as we know, they haven't done the mass production work to like drive down their senses. Google famously did some on LiDAR. They developed a bunch of their own, um, you know, to drive the cost out of that. Although I think in Google's case, that was more about the fact that they just couldn't get the LiDARs, right? It's the uh, Velodyne just doesn't make enough uh, uh, of that stuff for their needs. And so they, they started making their own, but you know, they did get the cost out of it, but they still, you know, if you have a trunk full of GPUs, that you need like that's not a that's not a good solution for this you need to have purpose-built silicon purpose-built computers to like really do it um when you know when google spends the money to actually design that silicon and start building those cars that'll be a good sign that they really believe they're going to scale like they're going to go spend a billion dollars in scale now they're going to do stuff that only makes sense to do when you're ready to scale. And at least so far, they don't seem to be doing that. So I'm not expecting them to suddenly start scaling next year. Yeah, makes sense. And also, I think there's an issue where with like mass market consumer cars, there it takes a while for these OEMs to release kind of these new technologies. They're not really anxious or really trying to get the best. And it's all a low cost margin issue, right? They're just putting the basic 
things every year. Like for example, I have a, a, a 2022 Buick um, Encore. Uh, it's GX. Mm -hmm. It's a SUV, small SUV. It's a it's a mm -hmm. tow. It, we tow it behind our, our RV. It's like the mm -hmm. one of the only tow vehicles we could find with the right size. But it's got this lane keeping feature. Um, I, I I think it might be mobilized uh, system, but it's like it's it's this lane keeping feature where it doesn't really keep the lane. It it kind of like nudges you when you like you know kind of get near the lane or across mm -hmm. the lane and nudges you back. But then if you don't really nudge back, you know it won't really work. It could take you off lane. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's just like, it's just no man's land where it's not really keeping the is lane it, for you. Is it intended to be lane keeping or is it, it just, um, there's a, it's, it, it's lane called lane exit warning. It's something. called lane assist, I think, um, or okay. something, but yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's a very conservative, I think, implementation. And, um, but it just it just reminds me of this thing where I think with the OEMs they're not anxious to really push the envelope with new technologies with liability and all this stuff. So the five year thing could really be there could be a five year lag between <laughs> just like this OEM delay of of implementation. But then you have maybe another I don't know how many or multi year lag of the actual technology, right? So there, it could actually be more than five years before you know mass market you know see something after i don't Tesla know does. i i don't see how gm is going to do this or uh or how volkswagen is going to do this without like doing what without recapitulating what tesla did um the one exception like if you wait long because the, the thing is the difficulty of doing the problem is getting easier and easier all the time because the neural network the fundamental tech this stuff is based on is getting better and better and i've said before and it is true that eventually this will be a high school science project because the neural networks will be good enough the computers will be fast enough the databases will be big enough the techniques will be known and you will just be able to sit down and do this this problem so somewhere between now and then you know any anybody who's willing to spend some money and take a year or two will be able to just do this. Now, I don't, how soon will that be after, you know, uh, Elon gets to whatever milestone he thinks constitutes, you know, having it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, I, you know, I would, I would think it'll, it'll be more than five years after, uh, you know, the first person doing it the way Tesla's doing it, which would be Tesla, right. Gets there. And, in, and it gets easy enough that like comma AI has got a great solution running in your car and they'll sell it to you for a thousand because like that's a great thing like yeah. eventually it'll be good enough like that comma thing eventually it's going to work like maybe not the particular piece of gear, gear they make right now but they're eventually that approach will work it just needs the tech to get good enough well okay so there's I guess a qualitative difference though like for example you could have a search engine that works but it's not as good as Google search, you know, like for example, sure. it's like, yeah, you just scrape the web and you apply, you know, different, you know, known techniques, et cetera. But there's a gap. It, it matters who has a better search engine, right? That qualitative different difference matters to the point where Google has basically almost, you know, a, a huge, the vast majority market share because of that qualitative difference. So in a similar way, don't you think like, autonomous driving could have some of that dynamic where a qualitative, significant qualitative difference could actually mean like a huge market share advantage. It um, could. Mm -hmm. it, the dynamics in the car business are kind of weird. I mean, in my perception as a, as a, as a engineer who consumes cars is that there are vast differences between cars that the market kind of ignores. Like, you know, mm -hmm. There's an unbelievable number of really crappy cars that sell, which I think are selling because marketing works and consumers don't buy it, know that they're not getting a good deal. It's not a good car. It's not a good fit for you. They're buying it anyway because they're being persuaded to. So could good marketing trump having a good product in the self-driving space? Yeah, sure. I could believe that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean... It's also like, for example, the difference between the iPhone and other phones. Like right now, I look at the car market as pre-iPhone. It's like a bunch of non-differentiated phones. It's just they're very they're differentiated in the form factor and little things, but they are they're very similar in you know the functionality of each phone. Um, but when the iPhone came in, you just had this huge you know um, jump in value that the iPhone could give, and eventually these other OEMs couldn't catch up because you know, iPhone operating system and ecosystem and App Store, all this stuff um, just accelerated that 
qualitative difference, right? Of what an iPhone could do versus... Yeah. You either you copy know. them or you go out of business trying yeah. to find a different way to get the same results. So everybody just copied them, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, it seems like with cars, like, you know, there's this thing where people are, are getting the cars because they're cheap. They're like, a, you know, a cheap phone or something. And there hasn't been this iPhone moment where it's like, oh my gosh, the value is so much higher with this car. I think Tesla started that with kind of their cars, but they're still not in reach, you know, for, you know, most of the market. But it seems like perhaps full self-driving, autonomous driving could be that killer feature that makes the car so much more valuable to the average person. And, you know, that could, you know, change the game of how people see cars so that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the bull case is that Tesla becomes that embodiment of, the full self-driving car that you know works uh, better than anyone else, right? And creates kind of this um, the 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 standard of what this uh, differentiated right car or vehicle can be. Um, mm. So I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. It, I don't think Tesla has to win at the expense of everybody else for it for. Like the bull, it, so in, in a scenario where like Tesla succeeds and some other people succeed on their terms, like Waymo Cruise, whatever, mm-hmm. I think the upside is so huge for Tesla that, that like, you know, they don't need everybody else to fail. If they succeed and other people succeed, the upside is still insane. Like it's still a bull case. That, yeah. I mean, looking at the market today, looking at how the company, like in my opinion, it is the, like Tesla is not getting any meaningful uh, contribution to their market price or their market prospects from Wall Street or investors in general. Like there are certainly investors who do give them that credit, but I would say you know the substantial majority of people putting serious money into the company stock are not. They might be considering it a call option, but they're not paying much for it. But- yeah, I mean, so yeah, it does seem. I, I agree. It does seem the market. Um, it kind of feels like the market is. Um, ignoring FSD because there's uncertainty of whether or not, like, when it's going to happen and who's going to be, you know, the leader in in autonomous driving. And because there's question marks, the market says, basically, we don't know, so we won't value it, right? Um, It's the the FSD version of the competition is coming, right? And I mean, even the car version of the competition is coming is, it's a dumb argument. It's so dumb. The backlog for the company is insane. Like, I don't know how much you must not be paying attention to think that a demand problem is going to come out of the woods next week because of competition or whatever, right? That, com- yeah. that Tesla's not going to be able to sell. And Tesla's FSD prospects, incidentally, they're limited by their car business. Like, they can only make so many cars. Um, and the FS, you know, the business for FSD is much larger than the number of cars Tesla can make for like the foreseeable future. So, you know, even if Waymo wildly succeeds, even if Cruise wildly succeeds, even if Kama AI succeeds, right? They're not gonna be a limiter on Tesla's FSD business for quite a long time. Like farther than the horizon for stock valuation. That's true. I mean, yeah, because I mean, the scalability problem, you know, with, with, with LiDAR, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, it goes back to Elon's point where he's like, just try it out. Like, you know, try out FSD beta, track the improvements over time, and you'll see where this is headed. I think a lot of the skepticism comes from people or investors who, who, who aren't doing that, who aren't tracking the improvements. If you just kind of like ride in, in an FSD beta car every three months and compare it to the best consumer kind of available you know, driver assistance systems out there in consumer cars mm-hmm. every three months, you'll see the rate of improvement just, you know, uh, be super fast with, with Tesla, but others, you know, I mean, that, I think that will give a better kind of understanding or view of the competitive landscape. But it just seems like people are closing their eyes to FSD beta because the excuse is Elon is always late. Elon is overpromising. He's he's promised it last year, last year, last year. Therefore, he's he's always going to be late. This is like, um, and then you have the argument um, from some, um, and one of the most prominent, you know, kind of um, folks that are um, or persons that are um, has an alternative view is Gary Black on Twitter, where he's like, "Hey, everyone's going to have." you know, level four, right. you know, in a few years, like, what's the big deal about Tesla? You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and that's why he can't for say, you know, value FSD, 
you know, right now because everyone's going to have it. I mean, he might add some incremental value, but it's not that big of a issue of a deal. So, I mean, what, what's your, what's your kind of thoughts with all of that? It, so for everybody to have it, uh, the tech has to advance so fast that you don't have to do what Tesla's doing in order to get it. Um, like the argument that other people are in the same ballpark or keeping up or close, like if you believe that you're not really paying attention, like, cause I, I don't think, you know, Mobileye isn't doing it. And the people doing the robo taxi business models, like their system isn't fungible to cars, right? You know, it's, Cruise may succeed, but GM isn't going to copy the cruise hardware and start putting it in, you know, the Chevy Blazer, uh, you know, you're just not going to see that happen. There's, they don't have a straightforward path to take to taking their robo taxi development, moving it. So what do you got? You know, if Mobileye doesn't do it, you know, it, do we expect Blue Cruise or or Super Cruise to, you know, suddenly leap mass really forward? Like, I don't think it's technically possible to do that. I mean, you get you have to build the organization. You have to learn all the lessons that Tesla. I mean, even with um, all the new techniques that have come out since FSD, since Tesla started working on FSD, like in 2014. I mean, there's been really significant advancements that if Tesla had had the tech today that they if, if they had back then the tech that they had today, it probably would have knocked a couple of years off. And it could do that for other people. But they still they got to build the fleet. You know, you got you need the million cars, you need all the cameras, you got to collect the data to do it this way. The tech isn't going to be good enough to like make it so that you don't need the fleet for a while now. So I don't know if Gary's position is, mm-hmm. oh, the, you know, the technology is just going to explode in the next four or five years. Yeah. And five years from now, it's going to be really easy and everybody's going to do it, which is an interesting take. But I don't think, you know, not, that's probably not where he's coming from. I yeah. think he thinks, you know, that Jam is just, you know, they got some smart people. They'll spend yeah. some money on it and they'll solve the problem because they have to. And I, I don't think they will. Yeah, I mean, it's I, you're making an interesting distinction between, let's say, FSD or autonomous driving for consumer cars, and then you have FSD or autonomous driving for commercial, let's say, call them taxis or something. Mm-hmm. And these are two distinct, I guess, groups because all of the companies or most of the companies working on commercial taxis, um, autonomous driving, they're doing these, you know, six-figure sensor suites, LiDAR that aren't applicable. They can't transfer over to a consumer mass market car yeah. and they're geofence, all this stuff. Um, so if you look at this consumer car market, Right. Who's doing autonomous driving for this car, you know, mass market? It's it's really a different story, you know, because <laughs> you have to t- take out the Waymos and the crews and these other yeah. companies and you're left you learn with useful things from yeah. doing a robo taxi. But you do not get a system that can be put in a, in a con- consumer car. You do not. Yeah. You have to take what you learned, take the people who learned it and start over and do the consumer version now. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that sense, I mean, when you distinguish it like that and you're looking at and also this commercial taxi business, it's, a di- it's another different thing. business. Yeah, it's a different business. And But if you look at the consumer car market, um, you can make an argument that Tesla is so far ahead, you know, with, you know, autonomous driving efforts in this consumer car market that second place is far, far away. I mean, we're talking yeah. about years and years away. Um, there isn't this close second place, right? Or close third place. It's it's really Tesla and then everyone else like multi-years, you know, behind what Tesla's doing. And it's, again, what you're saying is how are they going to, you know, really do autonomous driving in a consumer market car, which needs, you know, low cost um, without mm-hmm. doing what Tesla's doing, like without following their approach. Yeah, and they need this, mass production, consumer hardware. Yeah, and to, to this it, date, right? no one is sticking in even with, you know, what Tesla did with, you know, 2017 with, you know, um, auto, uh, their uh, autopilot yeah. hardware too, computer. No one's even doing that in their cars. And that's five years late. We're, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, you know, Mobileye has silicon and they're putting cameras in cars and, you know, they're they're making an effort. It's just not ambitious enough mm-hmm. to, to solve the problem. It, all, everybody who came into this space has thought that the problem was going to be easier than it has turned out to be. Cruise and Waymo and, you know, lots of other players, Google um, and Tesla, they have all over us, um, you know, been optimistic in their expectations for how fast they were going to make progress. This has not been because the technology hasn't proceeded well. It has generally been 
because uh, people have underestimated the difficulty of the problem. The problem is, you know, you work on it for a while, you solve the thing that you thought you had to solve to get it to work, and the world shows you, okay, there's this other thing that you didn't know about before because you aren't far enough down the road. You got to solve this too. And then you solve that, and then you find another one, and so on. And it, that's not to say they don't make progress. It's not like, you know, Zeno's paradox where you just never get where you're going. You do make progress, and it, it is going to get there, but it takes longer than you think it's going to. And, um, you know, it may be that in mobilized conception of the right way to do this, that it wasn't going to be that hard. And they committed to an approach that that didn't scale up the way that they that they needed it to. We'll see. It's I don't follow Mobileye super closely, but mm -hmm. they seem to be like if you're going to take um, the point of view that other people will have FSD relatively soon or some equivalent, you know, layer four, uh, yeah. L4 uh, tech that you could deploy into cars. You got to be, I mean, you know, Mobileye is the most credible sort of thing going on out there because I, like at least what I've seen of Blue Cruise and GM Super Cruise, like they do not, those are not serious efforts to solve this problem, right? They are not going to get there with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, Mobileye, it's a tough one for me. It's just because they're working with the OEMs. Like Mobileye doesn't have their own cars, so they have to rely on the, the release yeah. schedules, right, of the OEMs and their budgets and the constrict restraints of all of that, which adds, I think, many years, right, to the process. Um, and then you have, I think Mobileye yeah. is getting, like, I don't say unfocused, but they're having this multi whatever approach they're like using lidar now like you know other stuff they're mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's the right approach really i mean if they were really just to fault like copy tesla mm -hmm. you know like um then i would say hey maybe you know they can right they, they need they would need a big oem to mm -hmm. make a commitment yeah. to to do that with them and you know my read of their tech, like looking at their what I've been able to figure out about their chip layouts and looking at what I've what I've been able to figure out about how they're doing deployments and the data that they can capture and whatnot is that they didn't, you know, like Tesla, they didn't expect it to be that hard. The other thing is they're they're They it seems to me really believe the L2 that the way that the market was going to go was the L2 ADAS market was just going to be everywhere long before. Um, self-driving was was going to be something that was expected of the thing. And I think they're maybe having to reevaluate that. The other thing is they were not doing neural networks early on. I think they they still don't make silicon, which is completely dedicated to doing neural networks. They started with a vision approach because they were pre-neural network when they started working on this. Everybody you know, who started working on this prior to 2012 was not using neural networks because neural networks didn't work for this back then, you know. But then, you know, in, in some sense, Mobileye had a similar problem to what Waymo has, which is, okay, we've got this big investment in this approach. There's this new tech and it might work or it might not. You know, do we bet the ship? Do we just drop everything we're doing and go with this new thing? Because we are convinced that that is the thing to do. Mobileye didn't do that. Most companies wouldn't do that. So, you know, it's totally understandable, but they keep getting farther and farther down this road and they and they don't commit to jumping ship and switching over to the other approach. And Tesla, to some extent, you could say that it was fortuitous, their timing, or it could be that um, that, you know, that Elon saw ImageNet in 2012 and like that is the thing that is going to do it. Because from day one, they did the thing that I really believe personally is is what needs to be done, which is you go all in on the neural networks and you bet that the tech is going to get better and it's going to keep pace. But at every point along the, the route, you use the best development technique that you know is going to work if you just keep pounding away at it. Yeah. And that's what they did. And I'm, I'm, you know, one of the things, my takeaway from the Tesla owner Silicon Valley video that that we were just talking about is that... I mean, it reminded me again that I'm so happy that somebody has like the resources, the guts, the fortitude, right, to do it, to do it the right way. They, they, they didn't get unlucky by making a big bet on the wrong technology and being unable to back that up, which a lot of the other big players did. And they were willing, they believed enough in the technology to make a huge, I mean, putting all the sensors in the cars long, long before you had the tech to do it is incredibly expensive. Like that was, that's just a huge bet. 
And I, it, it's hard for me to believe that if you didn't have an organization that was as dominated by one person, because one person can do this kind of bet. But as soon as you get a committee, you're going to have somebody who's like, ah, I don't know if that's going to work. Maybe we shouldn't bet the farm on this. Like it's too yeah, much money. Yeah. We'll, we'll look like idiots, you know, we'll get sued. And, and, you know, in that video, Elon's like, yeah, we're going to get sued. Yeah. You know, that's just the incentive system of the world. That's the way it works. Some people are going to die in that thing. And we're just going to have to make the case that we're saving a lot more people than are, than are dying in, in, in accidents. And it's going to suck, but it's the right thing to do. And we're going to do it anyway. And like, man, how lucky are we that there's somebody doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, once you start, you know, making decisions by committee, I think there's a sense of like over, this cautiousness that comes in, reasonability. But yeah, sometimes it does take someone with kind of no board of directors will make this decision. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, it's just yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely um, unique. Um, so, you know, I think in part two of the Silicon Valley uh, Tesla Club interview, Elon, maybe it was part. I think it was part two, but he was basically saying without FSD, like you know, Tesla's basically worth zero or something. Do you remember that, that, that part? He's like, um, I didn't the watch the second video. I yeah. only watched the FSD part of the Okay. Third yeah. One. There, so he was basically saying, I, I don't want to misparaphrase it so people can watch the video themselves, but the S is the gist of it. We saying Tesla hmm. without solving FSD is basically whatever. <laughs> it's like worth nothing. <laughs> um, and it's really people all don't about get how big a deal FSD is going to be from a valuation yeah. standpoint. Like, yeah, I think like, I don't know what he said. I didn't hear the yeah. quote, but if what he was saying was, yeah. look, if you compare Tesla with FSD to Tesla yeah. without FSD, like the, 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 without FSD, that's a rounding error. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's small. <laughs> like people really don't get how big this yeah. is. They really don't. It, yeah. It's, yeah. So, so it was interesting because it caused a bit of a controversy out there because some mm. people took it, I would say literally, but they don't understand the context of mm. what Elon is thinking. And they're like, oh my gosh, Elon thinks Tesla is worth almost nothing. <laughs> it's like, um, and I think the, yeah. the, the context of how Elon it's only the yeah. most valuable company ever <laughs> yeah. without it. <laughs> but it's not the 10 exactly. times more valuable company. Exactly. Like the the it, context right? of what Elon, I think, is thinking in his brain is like, you know, with FSD, I, I think actually it goes further than I said, with autonomous driving and with humanoid robot, mm -hmm. all of what that includes, yeah. you know, like we're talking about something that's mind-blowingly crazy, you know, Um and it's so much bigger than the current valuation of Tesla right now. And so it's, it, yeah, it's like, I want to say it's a rounding error, but yeah, it's like you can't compare these two. And that's his way of kind of talking, saying this, oh, it's worth almost nothing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a exaggerated, right, a, a phrase in a sense, but it's, it, he, it's doing, he's doing so because there's a comparison, right? There's something much, much crazier um, out there. And I think if you don't understand that, <laughs> yeah, if you think FSD, autonomous driving, all this stuff is just going to add 20% to Tesla's now, valuation or something my, my over the models, next years. Like, like, you know, yeah. I, I have a financial model where I, like I had to build a model because nobody else actually takes the thing seriously enough. And I went and I built this big fancy Monte Carlo model so that I could, you know, plug in what I think the probability distributions for all the important factors are and get this, you know, probability distribution of, of outputs. And like when I click the checkbox, which is like add FSD versus taking it, like the scales on all the charts have to change. <laughs> right? Like it's not a small difference. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, crazy stuff. It's so interesting to me. It's it's interesting that, you know, like there's um, such a divergence of opinions and beliefs on autonomous driving. And, um, but yet, you know, to some people, I, and who knows, I could, we, I could be wrong, who knows, but it just seems like it's so obvious that, you know, Tesla is in the lead, is in a, in a, in a commanding lead with the consumer market, you know, Thomas driving, and it just has huge valuation ramifications. And on top of that, it has huge ramifications on the next type of possible business with humanoid robots. And if they can, you know, transfer and actually execute on a super high level, right, in that field, it just seems like, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, anyway, it's a, it, I really enjoyed that video because it was so like Elon almost seemed like he was tired. He was just kind of rambling, but in his rambling yeah. came out all kinds of cute little, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, a big part of it for me was like, yeah, got the, you know, cause we were, you and I, we've been talking about this for a while and we guess about a lot of stuff. 
that you don't know for sure. You're like, ah, they said this and we heard that and this must be the interpretation, but you can't be 100% sure because a lot of it we're basing on, you know, yeah. you know, these scattered comments or whatever the deal was. But he said a lot of stuff in this that strongly reinforced the impression that we've gotten about this. And so like I, you know, I feel like our vision for what they're doing is on track, what it's like internally to be doing this. He had a comment uh, on that one where he said like, from outside the company, it's hard to judge, right? Yeah. From outside Tesla, it's hard to, uh, to, and the way I take this is it's hard to quantitatively, you can kind of qualitatively understand the gist of what's going on. But you can't really do it quantitatively unless you've got the numbers. Unfortunately, the numbers, you know, people beat up Tesla for like not releasing the data, um, you know, to make the case that this is. And I think that is, you know, people who are making that case haven't really thought super carefully about like what the data looks like and what the case has to look like. Because I sat down to try to figure it out at one point. And I, I, you know, my takeaway from that was that it's really complicated. Like it's a lot of data. It, it, you know, it's not this super simple number. Oh, you just have this number and we know it's safe or we know it's not safe. Um, it's even if you have all the data, it's a complicated argument. People have to listen to it, right? They have to listen to it and they have to look at it and take the data on a neutral stance. Anybody that comes to the stuff with an opinion preformed and they're just looking for, you know, to satisfy their confirmation bias, it, it you know, the data that just destroys people's confirmation bias, that's going to be when it's out there and working. You know, that's just reality, right? Yeah. That um, it's very, it, you know, the, the, highway, it, the highway statistics aren't, you know, you know ha- accidents on highways versus accidents in cities, right? Yeah. There's the, the, you, look, you pull the NHTSA accident data, there's 60 categories of roads. And the large majority of them are in this kind of no man's land, kind of between. So depending on how you want to bend those, you know, you can get whatever conclusion that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wanted to ask you actually about uh, humanoid robot because so AI day has been postponed, right? It was like, I think, was it July or August? And then it, it's moved to September, I think end of September now, I think September 30th or something. And Elon says that, you know, they're going to show or try to show a working prototype of this humanoid robot. Um, and we also know it won't look like the the, the prototype that they've shown, at least ex- ex- externally. So what's your expectations? Like, what do you think Tesla will show? You know, have you like any any kind of ideas? Well, as a re- if it's a recruiting event, then you show something that is going to impress people who know. Yeah, so you're going to, uh, you're gonna, what you're gonna show is something that's going to impress the people you wanna recruit, which are people who know a lot about robots. And so, you know, they don't need a fancy plastic exterior or something that looks like a consumer product. What they're gonna be impressed by, I mean, they'll be impressed by um, showing some behind the scenes stuff like, hey, we're using this algorithm, we're using these computers, mm-hmm. this new, we're, you know, we've got this new technique, and, you know, uh, like that will imp- impress people. It'll leave them with an impression that, because what you want to convince them is, like, a Tesla's got a chance of succeeding, that it's going to be an interesting place to work, you know, you're going to get to work on cutting edge stuff, you'll learn a lot, you'll get to work with great people, like, that's what they want to show. So it's going to be teams and technology and that kind of stuff. As far as the product, like, it could be a pretty clunky product that's got some, you know, that's got really cool tech running on it, which is cool if you know the tech, because you know the tech, right? Because I think you can assume that 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 the people coming to this thing that Tesla wants to get there, there are people who will be able to tell, you know, the surface stuff from yeah. from the deep details. So it might not be as impressive to, uh, you know, to, you know, random layman as uh, as it would be to, the, you know, the target audience, which is yeah. experts in the space or people, people with a strong engineering background and and a passion for for working on this problem. So, okay, so I can imagine a few different kind of initial first kind of possible demonstrations. So one is like a a walking robot, like bipedal motion. It seems Mm -hmm. like, you know, obstacles, jumping, or or just, you know, different going up, down ramps, up, down stairs, all sorts of stuff like that. Another category is more like 
moving, picking up objects, interacting with the objects around, that type of, um, of, of thing. Um, and there are other kind of more advanced, like dexterity, you know, um, with like solving a Rubik's cube, right, with one hand or something, which, which to me, that seems like, I don't know if that's where Tesla's, you know, headed in the, in the initial stages, at least. So locomotion is unsolved. Bipedal locomotion in arbitrary, complicated environments is an unsolved problem. And showing progress on that would yeah. be impressive. Um, you know, interact, the interesting thing, when you look at objects in the real world, like, you know, a lot of some people will be impressed by being able to pick up, you know, stack Legos or simple things like that, just being able to do it. But what's going to super impress, like being able to pick up a water balloon, right? Like that's a really hard problem, right? Or a bag of potato chips. Like this is one of Amazon did their, you know, their, their whole picking challenge. And it turns out those air filled bags, cause they're squishy and you got to know, you don't want to break the bag, you know, but it, as soon as you touch it, it deforms. Like that's a really tough modeling problem. So there's all kinds of superficially to a human being, simple things, picking up something that's slippery, anything yeah. slippery is really, really hard to do. Huh. Like it's an amazing, and so you don't need to juggle a Rubik's cube. You know, if you can pick up, you know, uh, an oily bottle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or pick up a cat, yeah. you know, pick up a cat and hold it like this <laughs> with cat like squirming around and trying to, I just made that up, right? Yeah. That's really hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you can it's pick hard up for humans to do too. your arms, like <laughs> man, that's a freaking robot Turing test right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so in terms of just like getting a robot to walk, I want to just to walk, but actually to be really good, right. With balance up and down stairs, all this stuff. Like, mm -hmm. um, in, when do you think Tesla could sort of become the world's leading kind of company in that type of, you know, bipedal, you know, locomotive motion? with robots. Do you think they could do it this year or will it take, you think a few more years? Uh, well, they're, you know, who's doing it, right? yeah. There is no bipedal market. So, you know, anybody that came to market, like if you, if the only thing you had was a bipedal robot that could just move cubicle cardboard boxes around a factory, um, you know, if you made a hundred of those, you'd be the world's leading manufacturer of bipedal, <laughs> you know, material. it's like, there's no market right now. So yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of an interesting question to ask. Mm. Um, they, I mean, there are people who work on robots and do research, yeah. um, commercial companies that, that are doing this just kind of, I, I mean, I could be, I mean, there are lots of small companies I don't yeah, know about, so yeah. maybe I'm, I'm probably dissing somebody by omitting them, but, uh, but yeah, it I mean, wouldn't take much to leap to the front. Yeah, that's the it. I mean, my impression is there are a lot of like, you know, small companies, like maybe under 50 people, you know, doing a lot of robotics. They're funded. Mm -hmm. They don't really have a lot of cash flow there, but they have a lot of ideas, yeah. prototypes, robots, doing a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, but it seems to me that Tesla with their, not just their resources, but also the ability to recruit people it seems like they could leapfrog a lot, most of these small companies pretty quickly, you know, with just they the could. talent and resources and the ambition of the project they're doing too. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised like this year, like Tesla, and maybe it could be at AI day where they show some, you know, demonstration where it's like, wow, like Tesla in this field of robotics really is pushing the envelope now. They've, they've become maybe not the leader in all of robotics, obviously right now, but at least in a certain area, right? They're like, at least, I don't know if it'll be evident, but maybe it'll be people will start questioning it that, yeah, maybe Tesla is becoming, you know, um, a leader. People in question whether they're the leader in at, at level two. People question whether they're the leader in electric vehicles. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> people question stupid things. <laughs> yeah interesting stuff um yeah ai day I, um yeah I, I wonder if it's it's probably going to be another one of these small kind of recruiting events so it'd be hard to get in and you know but it'll be definitely fun to to watch and to see what tesla you know yeah, reveals I, there i would it would be super cool to be able to go yeah, i don't know yeah. i'll have to see if i can <laughs> I, I i became much more courageous about asking yeah. the company for stuff after mm -hmm. going to cyber rodeo with yeah. you I'm like, yeah, maybe I could get into these things. Well, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. Tesla owner of Silicon Valley had five guys do a sit down with Elon. I'm like, okay, I could ask those questions, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. definitely. Sounds good. All right, James. Um, yeah, it might be a while before I talk with you um, again. Um, I'm on the road for a while, but 
I guess if something comes up, I'll, I'll bring you up. I have I have Starlink and other stuff I could probably hook up for an interview. So yeah. Um, get, yeah. get a big camping spot so you don't have too many trees to deal with. Yeah, exactly. Um, you should do that pole thing, right? Yeah, actually, the, the reason why we, I'm towing a vehicle now for this trip, this is the mm-hmm. first year we're doing it, is so I could have like a recording space. And then if like there's trees, I could just drive the car somewhere where there isn't trees and just hook up my Starlink and, you know, get internet. So, um, okay. yeah, yeah, it's definitely possible. Yeah. All right, James, uh, fun talking, um, as always with you and, um, yeah, have a great summer and we'll catch up soon. And yeah, thanks for have a great watching. trip. All right. We'll see you guys. Bye. Bye.